Buzzkills fam, Liz here. We are taking a break from our regularly scheduled Feminist Buzzkills live pod to bring you a special episode. This show is a broadcast that originally aired on the Abortion Access Front Instagram in a live stream that was produced by AAF in conjunction with a cool organization called Obstetricians for Reproductive Justice. These amazing healthcare providers gathered at the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. and shared heartbreaking, harrowing, and moving firsthand accounts how these abortion bans have harmed their patients and are destroying their ability to provide the care they have been trained to do. It's hard for them to help patients, help families, and to help save lives. It's an incredible episode, and it is a must-listen. Hello. Hi, so we are Doctors for Abortion Access, which is a day of action that doctors, healthcare providers, and allies have come together to say that we need to not criminalize the providing of abortions and abortions for our patients. So my name is Dr. Heather Irabunda, and I'm an OBGYN in New York, Um, and I'm one of the co-founders of obstetricians for reproductive justice. It's an honor for me to be standing here with my colleagues, fellow physicians and healthcare providers demanding access to abortion care. We are in an unlikely group of activists, yet here we are. Um, Medical professionals, especially doctors, are often told that we should keep our heads down and just provide the medical care. We're told that we should leave the policy debates and the activism to politicians and others. Growing up in a household with two immigrant parents who came from very humble backgrounds, I was always told to just focus on my studies and try to do better for myself and my family. Activism wasn't something that was discussed or encouraged. In order to pay for medical school, I joined the army and served in the army for eight years. It was also an environment where I was told to keep my head down and just do my job. Activism, again, was not encouraged. Now I and many of my colleagues that you see here have found that we can no longer stay quiet. We can no longer go on with business as usual because we are in danger of being penalized for providing evidence-based care, also safe health care. Our patients are at risk for being criminalized for seeking that care. And in order to stop this injustice, we must now encourage activism from the medical community. While here in the United States, doctors in mass becoming part of activism is relatively new. In Latin America, doctors stepped up a long time ago. Their work has inspired me deeply and all of us deeply. The solidarity we have with doctors in Latin America fighting for the right to legal and safe abortions give us strength. The women fighting for bodily autonomy in Iran gives us strength. Carried by these movements and so many more, we in the United States are standing in front of the Capitol right here, fighting against horrific laws that criminalize us and our patients. We are not here alone. We are here for every doctor across all borders who believe abortion is healthcare. 
Many of us are out here fighting for both our colleagues and our patients. Although I'm in New York City, which is a safe haven for abortion, there are still folks who look like me, live in the same neighborhood I grew up in, who have trouble accessing abortion care. And things are getting more challenging as we try to accommodate people from states with stricter abortion legislation. The most vulnerable and marginalized communities always bear the brunt of poor policy decisions, and the reversal of Roe is no exception. As the vector of a federal abortion ban throws its shadow on all of us, medical professionals have no choice but to be active. I hope we can take time and hold space for all of those impacted. We will continue to stand with our patients to ensure that they receive the health care they deserve, and we will stand with our colleagues in restricted states to ensure that they are not criminalized for providing that care. Thank you. Hi, y'all. I just want to start off by thanking you for letting me share this space with you. My name, oh, I'm definitely going to cry, but... My name is Dr. Sarah Valier, and I am an incredibly proud abortion provider and a family medicine physician. It was actually my own two abortions as a Texan teenager that led me on the path to do this work and to vow to return to my home. For the past three years, I had been living in Phoenix, Arizona, providing reproductive health care services at multiple abortion clinics. And in addition, I was flying into Texas two times per month to provide abortion services to my people. My schedule was grueling. I needed a change and I needed to move back to Texas. After seven long years away, I finally made it back to Dallas in May of this year. I was thrilled to be reunited by my with with my entire family and to work full time at my dream job. I was relieved I would finally be able to stop traveling and even start a family with my partner. I was happy to be able to provide any abortion care that I could within the draconian confines of SB8. One month after I moved home, Roe fell. The stability that I wanted, that I needed, and that I finally thought I obtained was now in shambles. Truthfully, I was unsure whether or not it would be safe for me to provide abortion care out of state as a Texas physician. To this day, I am unsure how long my decision to continue abortion provision will remain safe. I currently spend half of my month or more traveling out of state to an abortion clinic in Albuquerque, New Mexico. In addition, I continue to travel to Phoenix, Arizona, where the ability to provide legal and safe abortions is also being challenged. Ironically, or maybe not, despite my 600 to 1,000 mile commute, the abortion care that I provide, and the majority of the people that I serve continue to be Texans. On multiple occasions, I have shared flights with these Texans that I am forced to serve out of state. Most recently, I was seatmates with a 16-year-old girl flying to Albuquerque. This girl was my patient in Dallas just a few weeks earlier. 
She was pregnant as a result of rape by a close family member. The pregnancy was a suffocating reminder of the assault, and she desperately wanted to move on with her life. I had to tell her I could not be the one to give her the abortion she so desperately wanted. Not only was I unable to provide this life-changing service for her, I wasn't even able to advise her on how to obtain an abortion. My heart was broken. Seeing my patient on the plane a few weeks later was a huge relief. She was going to get the care she desperately desired despite the laws in Texas. That's because laws will never stop abortions. They will only make them harder to access. And so in solidarity, we travel. Despite the fear, my Texas patients and myself constantly questioning, how long will the care be accessible in other states? How long until the traveling doctors lose their medical license or face persecution for providing abortions to these patients? How long until our loved ones are persecuted for helping obtain an abortion? Abortion care is the work that fills my soul with purpose, with love, with gratitude. And every day I worry when this privilege will be ripped away. We are asking you to protect us and to protect our patients. Politics have no place in medicine. My patient's care should never depend on legislation or fear of punishment. We took a vow to do no harm when we chose to become physicians. And now my hands are tied. I am unable to aid, abet, or provide necessary abortion care to my patients. These laws are forcing doctors and medical care providers to choose between what is best for our patients and the possibility of prosecution. We just want to do our job. Hi, my name is Bianca Passarelli. I was born in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and I immigrated to the United States when I was 16. Growing up, I remember hearing stories about women in my family, family and friends who needed and sought abortions and had to endure appalling and degrading conditions to obtain them. In Brazil, abortion was and continues to be illegal in most cases, and yet it remains incredibly common. The use of misoprostol for medication abortions originated in Brazil. Originally, when I came to the United States, my dream was to be a fashion designer. But when I became involved with the pro-choice movement in college, I found my real fashion calling, scrubs. <laughs> my first job out of college was as a counselor and a medical assistant at Planned Parenthood. My entire career has been dedicated to sexual health, abortion care, and reproductive rights. Since the passing of the Roe Act in Massachusetts, I've had the privilege of training under the country's most courageous and experienced physicians, and I now provide procedure abortion care in addition to the medication abortion regimen. Providing abortion care has always felt like a privilege, but after the Dobbs decision, it's taken on a new sense of urgency. Almost overnight, we started seeing patients from all over the country. 
Last Tuesday, I treated a patient who drove 18 hours from a state with an abortion ban in the South, only to get back in the car and drive home immediately after her procedure. She missed her infant son first Halloween and was worried about arriving home in time for work on Wednesday morning. She said those were the longest 18 hours of her life, but she felt lucky to be able to get to do it at all. A couple weeks ago, I saw another patient who also lived in a state where abortion care is banned. Coordinating an abortion outside one's home state can require mind-boggling logistics, and it's a huge financial strain. My patient had to reschedule her appointment five times because each time she'd coordinated everything, like time off and childcare, she realized the funding she had secured was no longer sufficient to cover the cost of abortion and transportation. She got the procedure six weeks later than she originally intended. Another patient had to travel 1,800 miles alone to terminate a desperately wanted pregnancy conceived through in vitro fertilization after the 19-week ultrasound revealed a major kidney abnormality not compatible with life. The patient had to spend a night grieving between the first and second days of her procedure, away from home and from her family, then fly home with only a footprint card to share with her husband. These patients all had providers in their home states who were unable to perform their abortions because their, ha their hands are tied by their state's abortion bans. These patients deserved to receive this care close to home. Just as abortion bans in Brazil have only succeeded in making pregnancy less safe, abortion bans in the United States have already started to make pregnancy less safe. Medical providers across Latin America have joined the green wave to fight for decriminalization abortion care. And in countries like Argentina and Mexico, their efforts have already made impacts. As medical providers here in the United States, we must raise our voices to tell politicians what we know for sure. Abortion is healthcare. It is life-changing and life-saving care, and it must be legal and accessible because someday someone you know, someone you love will need an abortion, and we should be there to provide it. My name is Dr. Jen Conti. I'm a board-certified OBGYN and a specialist in complex family planning, and also one of the co-founders of Obstetricians for Reproductive Justice. I live and work in California, where access to abortion is currently protected. Recently, I had a patient named Heidi, I've changed her name to protect her privacy, who needed abortion care. Heidi lives in Texas. She has two little kids at home and was pregnant with a very desired pregnancy. She and her husband had recently learned that the fetus had a lethal genetic condition. They are both carriers of this condition and they had already experienced a prior abortion for this same reason a few years before, before Texas banned abortion at six weeks. With that abortion, they received urgent, necessary, and safe care with her provider in Texas. This time around, however, providers throughout the entire state would not and could not help her for fear of going to prison. The landscape in Texas has changed. Because it was now illegal to provide this essential part of women's health, many providers had left the state, leaving all of reproductive health care impacted. Every step of her care took longer. Heidi is privileged. She had the means to travel to me in California, where I saw her the same week she called for help. 
In clinic, I also diagnosed her with a life-threatening condition called a placenta accreta. Her placenta was growing into the muscle of her uterus, where her two prior C-section scars were located. She was 16 weeks pregnant, and this was the first that she had learned of this condition, because in the preceding couple of weeks, when this was first able to be detected on ultrasound, she had already been deemed an abortion case and told to leave the state if she didn't want to continue the pregnancy. So her prenatal care had effectively stopped. In my exam room, far from her home and family, and terrified of undergoing surgery, I told her that there was a high chance that she had flown out to California to lose both her pregnancy and her uterus. During the surgery, even with excellent preparation and at one of the most well-equipped hospitals in the nation, she hemorrhaged and came within inches of losing her uterus because of that accreta. Thankfully, I was able to save her uterus and her life. Sorry, I'm shaking just thinking of her. Let me be crystal clear here. Heidi's fetal loss and her placenta accreta were inevitable. The delay in diagnosing her placental disorder and in receiving care were not. And the longer that you wait to do an abortion for someone with an accreta, the more life-threatening it becomes. She was on a path towards losing her uterus and even her life, and the delays in care only increased the risk of both. No part of her experience in Texas because of anti-choice legislators was pro-life. Her doctors there, my colleagues, have their hands tied. The difference in the care that Heidi and all other pregnant people throughout America receive depends on only one thing, their zip code. And that's bullshit. Hey, all. I'm Dr. Danny Matheson, and I'm in my residency training in a state that does not have strict abortion regulations. However, 45% of residencies are in places with strict abortion access, restricting providers from getting medical training in their residency in medical school. I am from one of those states. I'm from Texas, a place that I used to be proud to call home. In my final year of medical school, I had a very wanted and planned pregnancy. My husband and I were excited and we documented my journey week by week. At 19 weeks, we discovered some complications during the anatomy scan that indicated that my daughter would not survive outside of my body, if she even made it that far. She had no brain. Her spine was so curved that her heart could not function properly. She only had one kidney, and the kidney that she did have did not work. To top it all off, her hands were stuck in the shape of a heart. But that reminded me that what I was doing was out of love. With little direction from my doctors, my husband and I had to leave our home in Texas to receive abortion care. I do not hold my doctors responsible for the lack of assistance or guidance. They were just doing what they were told was allowed by their legal departments. I knew of a clinic from my involvement in medical students for choice from undergraduate training. However, leaving my home state, my family, my support system behind for such a serious procedure was awful and an experience I do not wish upon anyone. In addition to it being incredibly expensive, having to miss a week of work, I felt the need to hide what I was doing. We paid all cash because we didn't want to leave a paper trail. We didn't tell anybody outside of a small need-to-know group because we thought that's what we had to do. 
I went back to work on Monday like nothing happened. I did everything right for my family and my daughter, yet because of steps I had to take, it felt like I was doing something wrong and illegal. In addition to the heartbreak of having to decide to end my very wanted, very loved, I wear her fingerprints and handprints on my chest. I additionally had trauma and barriers to care because of the zip code that I lived in. I think it's important to note that my story, however tragic, I had the resources to get treatment. This is not true for everyone. And additionally, it shouldn't matter the reasons why I had an abortion, whether it was medically indicated or elective. There should be access to abortion care, not just in times of harm to the mother or certain exceptions. The choice to be a parent or not, whether it's simply not the right time, not feeling safe, are all equally valid reasons, and this procedure needs to be included in all of the conversations. The choice is a fundamental right that should not be legally barred from anyone. You watch the news. You see the horror stories of pregnant people being denied care. Everybody here has a daughter, a mother, a sister, a wife, a niece, or cousin. We all know people who can become pregnant. Why would you want a system where the people in your life aren't safe and they cannot get the care that they need? The fact is, the choice to have or to not have a child is the most important economic decision a person or family can make. Abortion is healthcare, and it should be a choice between a patient and a provider and no one else. And currently, that is not the case. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Before I start, I just want to say thanks to my parents for giving me every opportunity to be here. Gracias, padres. Estoy aquí contigo. My name is Dr. Lorenzo Antonio Gonzalez. I'm a family medicine doctor and the national president of the Committee of Interns and Residents, the largest labor union of physicians in this country. Before Roe versus Wade was overturned, we healthcare providers knew the importance of having access to critical clinical care, such as abortion services. Women, people of color, pregnant people, LGBT community, and those living in poverty especially knew how critical it is to have reproductive and bodily autonomy. And these are the same people who are being hurt the most. Soon after the decision, we began to hear horrifying stories. Stories of people who can get pregnant left on the brink of death as hospitals refused to allow doctors to provide life-saving care until a lawyer was consulted. And the stories of doctors potentially facing criminal charges and prosecution for providing the care their patients need. What has this come to? What kind of impossible choice is this? to not help our patients or face criminal proceedings? As we looked at the deep reach of the Dobbs decision, these abortion bans are completely changing the landscape of medicine. And as the voice of training physicians, CIR is facing these changes in the current medical training. Medical schools and residency programs across the country are being forced not to include abortion training. It has become illegal. Anti-abortion legislation has placed 45% of the nation's obstetric and gynecological residencies in positions to not provide in-state abortion care, education, and training. One of the most common primary care services in this country. 
these incomplete curriculums hurt us all. We will have generations of doctors who are not trained in the full spectrum of clinical care who will, will be unable to meet the needs of their patients throughout the United States. As patients, training physicians, and medical students across the country lose access to abortion care and are forced to travel interstate, we must ensure an increase in the number of physicians who can provide that care. The governing body of medical education says that programs legally restricted from offering abortion care must provide support for residents to obtain their training in another state. A critical yet short and unsustainable solution that we must operationalize as we fight for permanent access to abortion care, abortion care training, and education. Simulations cannot substitute the experience of counseling, the experience of understanding the societal and cultural implications, and how to provide trauma-informed care. We cannot allow the substitution of hands-on experience with patients. Lastly, these far-reaching implications will continue to exacerbate the lack of access to the care we see in our nation with the potential lack of OBGYN providers in those states where the bans exist. So let us center the value of our lives, of our patients above all. Let us secure comprehensive reproductive health care training programs throughout the nation. Let us teach and train without restrictions. La unión hace la fuerza, pero la participación es la diferencia. Thank you. Hello, my name is Dr. Mimi Zeman, and I'm a board-certified OBGYN from Atlanta, Georgia. And I will fight every day to be a voice for women. I didn't go to medical school to become a physician. I went knowing I wanted to become an OBGYN. Inspired by the fight for the Equal Rights Amendment, my goal was to take care of and advocate for women. I'm also a first-generation American. My father was the only person in his family to survive the Holocaust, and he instilled in me the importance of always speaking out for justice, human rights, and democracy. Now I'm speaking out not only for women and other people at risk of pregnancy, but also for my specialty, OBGYN, which is under attack. If OBGYNs decide not to practice in states that have abortion bans because they risk fines, lawsuits, and incarceration, then everyone who needs specialized care for conditions like fibroids, endometriosis, and fertility will suffer the consequences. So will their families. We are here speaking out together and speaking for those who cannot, because it's our duty to take the best care of our patients. We will not remain handcuffed by legislators with no medical expertise or understanding of the complexities of care. These bans cause us moral injury by forcing us to violate our oaths to honor our patients' autonomy and privacy. Abortion bans hamstring us from providing routine, life-saving pregnancy care miscarriage care. Abortion bans violate our oath to justice because care is based on which zip code someone resides in. That's why all major medical societies oppose these bans. These bans are cruel. They are not stopping abortions, but they are harming and punishing women 
for a situation, pregnancy, that requires male complicity. That's injustice based on gender. Every day in Georgia, patients are in tears when denied an abortion in early pregnancy, typically around six weeks or two weeks after a missed period. Her options are then continue her pregnancy in a state considered one of the most dangerous to be pregnant in, where her risk of death is two times the national average, three times higher for black women, and greater than a hundred times more than if she would have gotten an abortion. Or she could travel to another state at great financial cost, time cost, missed work cost, and cost to her children at home. Or she could procure pills for a self-managed abortion, which is a safe procedure, but illegal in my state of Georgia and other states without access. When I hear the public debate the question, what is an acceptable reason for an abortion, rape, or incest, or medical issues, they are missing the point. The right to an abortion is the right of a person to know what is in their best interests, to know what is right for their body and their goals for self-determination. It is a personal medical decision that our patients deserve to make no matter where they live. The American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, ACOG, promotes abortion as a human right and as an essential component of comprehensive evidence-based healthcare. After Roe was overturned, I wrote a script called the Post-Roe Monologues as another way to use my voice and apply my experience. I wrote it to reach people through storytelling to increase understanding and compassion on this issue. In a post-Roe America, doctors must continue to find new ways to use our voices, like being here today. As a physician, a daughter of immigrants, and as a mother who chose when to have my children, no one will silence me or tie my hands with laws that prevent me from advocating for the evidence-based healthcare I was trained to deliver. Good afternoon. My name is Dr. Kimberly Looney. I am a board-certified OBGYN and a specialist in complex family planning. As a participating OBGYN in Nashville, Tennessee, one of the most important and sacred health decisions I can ever help a patient make is when and how to be a mother. Unplanned pregnancies change lives. And like my colleagues, I'll try to do this without busting open in emotions, but they change lives, sometimes for the better sometimes for the worst. And let me start by saying this is not an argument about whether a child is a blessing. I think most of us agree on that sentiment. This is an argument about whether or not someone is ready, able, and desires to accept that blessing. I have spent my career working with communities where poverty and racism are everyday realities. Let me tell you about one of my patients uh, that I had the honor of taking care of as a medical student. Uh, she was a young lady, 14 years old, and now faced with her first pregnancy. As a medical student, we often had to go in and get histories, and that included getting a dietary log that the patient had to complete. You will never know the pain and place of just disbelief that you feel when you have a 14-year-old child not woman, child, look up to you and say, how do you spell hamburger? In that moment, in that space of me as a 25-year-old woman, 
my heart bled for that patient because I knew she had no idea how hard the road would be for her. During the course of that rotation, I saw countless versions of the same scenario and had to ask myself, what am I missing? I had come from similar backgrounds, similar communities, similar cultural beliefs. What made my life so different? After much reflection, I realized the only difference between myself and these women that I had the pleasure of taking care of was the opportunity to get educated and the opportunity to learn something about family planning. From that day forth, family planning no longer became a personal health decision or social concern for me. It was those things, but in addition to that, it was also economic and empowerment of women, economic advancement of women. Outside of her 14-year-old body not ready to be a mother, how is a 14-year-old child on any day of her life expected to rise above poverty? Let's face it. In the communities that I know, it is hard enough to get an education without a child. So imagine the road with a child. That day, I made the commitment to give every patient that I serve the tools that she needed to create her own story in her own way. I have seen countless variations of this story that have only renewed my certainty over the course of my 20-year career that abortion is health care. From my first delivery as an intern of a mother of an anencephaly baby, which is a lethal condition, who was told that she needed to carry this pregnancy to term because abortion was not an option, but yet not told of the increasing comorbidities that she was experiencing, the increasing health costs she was experiencing for a pregnancy that would not result in a live birth, not never being told that, who basically had to carry this baby to term from the student who was the first in her family to attend college, who feared, uh, who feared having an unplanned pregnancy and that it might interrupt her career and her ability to provide for generations of her family. From the woman who's in an abusive relationship and has no say in her own reproductive decisions, but who also cannot, through compassion, bring a child into such situation uh, as the one that she's living in. For all of these women, I stand here today I have been a provider of these women. I have been these women. How dreadful that our daughters and our sons, because not let, let's not leave them out of the equation, how dreadful that they will not have the same reproductive health choices, economic choices, and empowerment choices. Because again, these choices not only affect the individual, they affect families, communities, and lastly, they affect my oath as a physician and protector of people. When people ask me what it's like to work as a physician in a state that has banned abortions in all cases except for the, the life of the mother, my answer is simple. There's not much to be done in handcuffs. Abortion is a class C felony in the state of Tennessee. Not much can be done when you are forced to change your occupation from physician to lawyer every time you decide how to treat a complicated pregnancy. Now, when my colleagues refer patients who require termination for any reason, be that anomaly, be that elective, my only recommendation is you have to get her out of state. When they call and say she's bleeding, but there's still a heartbeat, what do I do? My response is consult your legal service and try to minimize her risk in the interim. So essentially, that has been my job, working against all that I have ever been taught 
ever been trained as a physician. And my hands are tied and harm is being done. Thank you. I'm your final speaker for today. And before I start, I just want to say thank you to everybody for being here at this very inauspicious location where we look across the street to the building. That is the reason we are all here today. So thank you. My name is Dr. Jennifer Lincoln, and I'm a board certified OBGYN in Portland, Oregon. And I'm also a co-founder of Obstetricians for Reproductive Justice. I'm sharing words from a doctor who was too scared to share them herself. And I'm using my position of power and privilege to give her a voice. This story is real. This must stay anonymous. I'm currently practicing in a state where abortion is banned. A patient was referred for pregnancy due to birth control failure. She has cancer and her doctors won't give her chemotherapy while she's pregnant. The hospital won't allow termination despite having documentation that it is to save the mother's life. She can't afford to find treatment elsewhere, so she's not receiving this potentially life-saving treatment. We've gone through legal and having multiple high-risk OBGYN doctors document this. It doesn't break the law, but there's too much liability for the hospital, so they won't allow her termination. And too much fear from the oncologist about what chemotherapy will do to the pregnancy. That is, can they get charged if the baby dies while she receives chemotherapy? So they've deferred her care indefinitely. This is not what I imagined when I got into medicine. That last line. This is not what I imagined when I got into medicine or what anybody here imagined when we got into medicine. None of this is what we imagined. And yet that is the least of what's wrong with this story that I shared, again, from a doctor who reached out to me on social media because she couldn't share her story and feel safe that she could do so. You see, some folks will hear this story and they'll say, but there was an exception, but she can just travel. But the doctor should have done it anyway. And yet this is the reality. Exceptions are affirmative defenses in states like Tennessee where you still are charged with a crime and have to go to court and defend yourself. Exceptions result in delaying life-saving care. When a felony is a possible outcome, fear will often win. Put yourself in their shoes. Put yourself in their shoes. Travel, medication, abortion pills, getting care elsewhere is fantastic, but it's meaningless for those who can't access that and those who are already marginalized even long before Roe fell. We are here today because we need more doctors and more healthcare providers who are in positions of power like us here, people like me who live in states with protections, with platforms that I can use and I can reach out and I can speak and lift up my voice. We need them to speak up and show up and claim their activist role. The old ways of hoping lawyers and litigators and legislators will keep these things accessible, those are gone. We are in a new, scary, post-Roe world. And if we doctors, nurses, midwives, students, if we don't start speaking up for our patients, we will be complicit in allowing these atrocities to continue. Our voices matter. If we come together and demand that our medical organizations that represent us speak loudly on our behalf and say no more to our hands being tied, no more to funding anti-choice candidates, and no more to staying safe while our patients die, and they lose their uterus, and they have to choose between healthcare or handcuffs, we can truly then fulfill the oaths that we took and be the change that this moment calls for. Thank you.
Thank you to Obstetricians for Reproductive Justice for organizing this event, and thanks to all of the doctors and medical professionals who spoke up for abortion access today. You can follow them on Twitter and Instagram at OBS4RJ and stay up to date and support their work. Thank you so much for listening. We're here for you. We want to bring you amazing events like this so that you can speak to your communities, especially speak to your communities through the voices of those who are impacted the most. We want to help you navigate these dark days, and we always want to be a reliable hub of info and a source of humor as we face some really, really dark times. If you like our regularly scheduled Feminist Buzzkill of Alive episodes and these fun special episodes, subscribe, write a review, give us five stars. It's the best way for our podcast to reach more people. And by doing so, you are helping more people learn about this assault on abortion access. To keep up with all the Repro news, to keep up with events like this, follow us on social at Abortion Front on Insta, TikTok, Facebook, and YouTube. Oh, and Twitter. A Feminist Buzz Kills Live is edited by Remy DeTournay and is produced by Abortion Access Front. Looking for some activism? Looking for something you might want to do? Well, look no further than Operation Save Abortion, our five-part training series that's available on video and in podcast forms. So gather your friends, watch and listen to each episode together, and follow the activity guide for a full experience. Details on the series are at operationsaveabortion.com. And make sure you check out the activist calendar as well, which is chock full of local and national actions and educational opportunities. That's right. And looking to do something right now? This is one of our highlights from the activist calendar. Look, do you know how to stay digitally safe in these dark times? If one day you need an abortion or helping someone to get an abortion, it's important that you keep your shit on lock. And turns out there's more to online privacy than watching out for period tracking apps. On November 12th at 4 p.m., join Encode Justice and Girl Up for an online workshop on the post-row era and data privacy. This is a good one, folks. You can sign up at the link in the show notes and you can find it in the activist calendar, but we'll put that sign up link there. Next week's guest, very important for a post-election rager from Partners in Care, her brand spanking new clinic in College Park, Maryland, the only woman-owned all-trimester clinic in the country, Dr. Diane Horvath is here to talk about expanding access and the attacks they have gotten in just the few months they have been open. And fresh from her brand spanking new Peacock special, Lady Killer, comedian Jenna Friedman will be here to laugh and scream as we unpack what the election results mean for abortion access. And personal point of privilege, don't forget, if you are in the Twin Cities, I am doing my fun, fun, fun urine review comedy shows at the Parkway Theater, December 30th and 31st. If you want to help me purge out this shitty ear right out of your system with some laughs and some rage, join me. Tickets are available at the Parkway's website and will be also accessible in our show notes. And lastly, Patreon plug. Join our Patreon if you like these special episodes, if you like Feminist Buzz Kills Live, if you love that we are doing all of this amazing activism like Abortion Access Front, become a supporter. You'll not only be supporting all of our great work, the great content of FPK Live, but you'll also get cool FPK merch and experiences. All the pledges support everything we do, so you can pledge at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills. Also, folks, listen up. Abortion is on the ballot literally in five states. 
So check to see if your state is one of them and prepare your sample ballot. You go to aafront.org 2022. And really, abortion's on the ballot in all 50 states. So please, please, please get out, get your vote on. Let's wake up Wednesday morning with a lovely afterglow. All right, kids, we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot. Feminist Buzzkills Live, the podcast from Abortion Access Front. When BS is popping, we pop off. New episodes drop Friday. If you want to support our podcast and all the work of Abortion Access Front, like, subscribe, and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills.